We return to bringing light into darkness with our guest, Mike Whitney, as he is discussing, along with Pedro, how the U.S. misleads the American public into thinking that we are concerned and respectful of Ukraine's interests. Welcome back to bringing light into darkness. So you can't have it both ways. If it's up to Ukraine and Ukraine makes a peace deal, then you can't say, well, we're leaving it up to them because you're obviously not. And the fact of the matter is that when you're giving a government 50 and $60 billion for weapons and for maintaining their governmental structures like the United States is to Ukraine, you own them. Okay. We own them. They do what we tell them to do. And everyone knows that. So it's not a matter of them having an independent voice. They've decided to be Washington's lackey, and that's what they are. Absolutely. And that's really the point. Thank you for completing the point there, which is simply that John Kirby is a liar. They're all liars. You know, they claim that Ukraine makes the calls when they don't. The famous visit of Boris Johnson that came and blew that peace proposal thing up with U.S. support is well documented if people want to go look at that. So they made a choice. They were making a choice to get get out of that war. And the United States and the U.K. said, no, you are not, because it's not your war, it's our war. I mean, that's really the truth behind all this. So thanks for making sure we didn't run past that without making that very clear point. So basically, this is what a bully does behind the scenes. As long as you agree with us and do what we want you to do, you have free choice. But as soon as you do something we do not want you to do, we co-opt that free choice and make it for you. This is in actuality what the truth is, yet we call this promoting democracy when it is nothing of the sort. It is robbing nations of sovereign choices, the soul of democracy. This is false image making, which primary purpose is to deceitfully propagandize the American public using terms such as rules-based order because it is the U.S. public that must be brainwashed into ultimately going along with our foreign policies. This is what deconstructing oppression looks like. You wrote a recent article, Mike, the war in Ukraine made in Washington, not in Moscow. It was back on October 22nd. And you cited a number of well-spoken words from different narrators, including John Mersheimer and the existential concern by Russia that these U.S. and NATO missile systems are deployed in Ukraine. Their flight time would be only seven to 10 minutes and all this. But, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit over the months on this show, but I always think it's important to reiterate the existential threat that you point out in this article that Russia has and the basis of it. Can you walk us through that, please? Yeah, but I want to do it in as simple terms as possible, because there's some real big misunderstandings about what's going on in Ukraine. And when we talk about just the war between the United States and Russia that is being held on the basically on this battlefield that's called Ukraine, We think that one side, the United States, wants to defeat Russia and see Russia pushed out of Ukraine. That's not the goal of the United States. We think that Russia wants to defeat Ukraine. That's not Russia's goal. Russia is looking for minimal and basic security guarantees to ensure that NATO and hostile army tanks and missiles are not on its border seven minutes from delivery to Moscow. That's what Russia wants, and that's what they've requested from the very beginning before the war even broke out. For the United States, the last thing they want is a defeat where they push Russia out of Ukraine. 
If you look at the RAND paper that was written, that's quoted in every single foreign policy piece that's written on the internet now, you'll see that the ultimate objective is to prolong the war as long as possible to expend as many of Russia's resources and supplies as possible to basically weaken Russia. So the last thing they want is for the war to end. So these are two entirely different definitions of success or victory. Victory for the United States is a protracted war that goes on forever and turns out to be another quagmire like Vietnam. And for Russia, it's just minimal security guarantees. So it's protected against this aggressor being on its border. These are two very different things. So your uh, second question in there? Well, I just going back to your article, you, you excerpt a piece from Ray McGovern there that Putin had warned repeatedly of the existential threat that he believes Russia faces from what Russia calls an offensive strike missiles. He names them. He says it's a tomahawk and eventually hypersonic missiles along its western border. He says these so-called ABM sites. Well, yes, exactly, because uh, the missile defense system is greatly misunderstood in the United States and in Europe. It's not a defense system at all. It is integrated with the entire computerized network of nuclear weaponry in the United States. For example, as Putin was describing in the video you were talking about, one of these defensive rockets will go off and then it'll be followed by a offensive weapon. And that offensive weapon can be launched from the same site in the same tube, everything as the missile defense system. So you can simply interchange the type of weapons you're using to use them either in offensive or defensive capacity. So there's no way that Russia can allow this to happen. In that same video, he was explaining how the United States informed him that they were going to develop ballistic missiles without nuclear warheads. And he said, do you understand what you're doing? If you have ballistic missiles and that's fired from a submarine, how are we supposed to know that there's not a nuclear warhead on it? Well, you're just supposed to know. Well, of course not. So if you use a ballistic missile, it's going to be assumed that's a nuclear weapon and we're going to have nuclear Armageddon. So it's just these kind of things that are so unusual and so poorly thought out that could end up in a really tragic conflagration. Right. Well, in your article, and I want to remind folks, we're talking with the distinguished investigative journalist, Mike Whitney from the state of Washington, raised last piece there, which I think is important, and it's pretty much encompassing what you just alluded to. These so-called ABM, anti-ballistic missile sites, already in place in Romania and about to be completed in Poland can accommodate tomahawks and hypersonic missiles overnight with the insertion of a computer disk. Putin himself made this crystal clear in an unusual presentation to a small group of Western journalists six years ago. And I guess that's what you were referring to was uh, was that as well. The indivisibility. You know, that's that's a very tricky word. Uh, It's almost like we shouldn't use that term because it's used in diplomatic circles. And it's just there's a real simple meaning to the indivisibility of security. It just means that these nations, all of the nations in NATO, the United States and Russia have all signed treaties twice in Astana and in Istanbul. And in both cases, they sign these treaties saying we will not improve our own security. That is to say, we're not going to put missiles or build up battalions of armed troops on your border if it undermines your security. That's the agreement. That's the deal. So when people come out with a popular phrase, well, they should be able to join whatever security organization they want to, meaning NATO, it's important to realize that, no, that's not the deal. The deal is you don't improve your security at the expense of your neighbor, because that's only going to force him into a more aggressive profile. So that's what we're talking about. And so sometimes these things that are battered around 
on TV, et cetera, that, you know, they should be able to do what they want. They're a free country, right? No, wrong, because everyone signed a treaty saying they wouldn't do that. So it's just, you know, one of these things that needs to be clarified, but it never is. Yeah, and and the indivisibility means it's just not negotiable. I I cannot negotiate the national security interests or the existence of my country or the threat of its obliteration. That's what the indivisibility of security means. Like you said, if in the exercise of my own nation's free will choices, but it's going to threaten the existence of your nation, then I am violating the international law intent there. Yeah, you alluded to race peace. In race deal there, the extremely alarming elements of the of the defense system that are being deployed near Russia. He, he mentions the MK-41 launchers, which are located in Romania and, and about to be deployed in Poland. And I assume those are the ones you're talking about that have the nuclear capabilities that are adapted to launching Tomahawk strike. Now, I, I don't know if those are entirely operational yet, because I think Russia will have to respond if they are. But now we have Finland, who shares a border of about 1,200 kilometers on the Russian border, and they're threatening to join NATO as well, in which case, and they, of course, promised after World War II that they would never join NATO. And Russia is saying that they'll have to respond to that as well. So uh, we're talking about a general ratcheting up of the missile technology and the whole war scenario. Yeah, let me move on unless you want to speak at more length to the situation. I mean, I think that's really the crux of this whole thing that we just kind of run right past, right? Well, that's the only thing that really strikes me as odd and that I know we should like underscore here is the fact that the missiles really are the key issue. Ukraine is already a de facto member of NATO in the sense that they had six joint military operations conducted on Ukrainian soil last year. So it's an illusion. It's a basic fiction that they're maintaining that they're not a member of NATO. Uh, Regardless, they don't want them to become a formal member of NATO because if there is a conflagration defending ethnic Russians in East Ukraine, like they are right now, then all of NATO will be required to join that war. Russia doesn't want that for obvious reasons. But the main thing is still the missiles that the United States, because the whole program here is to encircle Russia to get them to expend their energy to weaken them so that the United States can project its military bases into Central Asia, which is expected to be the most prosperous market of the next century. And that's what they're trying to do. They want to avoid, in the latest national security strategy, and there was a national security strategy that was put out by the Congressional, I'm writing about it right now, they essentially say that we are in another great power competition, and the main adversaries are China and Russia. But the main adversary, the only one who has the capacity, the wherewithal economically to overtake us, of course, is China. So Russia is just the wall through which we pass to encircling China and controlling their growth so they do not become the dominant regional hegemon in Central Asia. So it's not Russia so much that poses a threat to United States strategic ambitions, But they are an obstacle, and they have been an obstacle to us spreading our bases in that area. So they trumped up this Ukrainian thing. And Putin understands it completely. Just today, he released a statement saying they're using Ukraine as a battering ram to bowl over Russia to get to China. And that's essentially what they're doing. It's a platform. It's a launching ground for U.S. operations so that they can accomplish or achieve their strategic objectives. Ukraine doesn't matter at all to people in the United States, to to Washington, to the establishment. They don't care about this far-flung place in the central Eurasia 
What they care about is how that represents their ability to establish themselves as the regional powerhouse in the center of Asia. Yeah, and I think that's worth talking about for just a second, is that you had this increasing economic relationships developing between Russia and the EU, and particularly Germany with all of the oil, the gas reserves and all of that type of thing. And Washington was being left out, and they could see that they're losing their place as the unipolar power of the world. Like you said, China is up there now, and China is certainly exerting its right to have an autonomous country and do trade with whomever it wants. But that was really, it appears to me, to be the concern of the United States was to, in order to get at Russia by knocking out the economic relationships between Russia and the EU was the route that they took. And the problem with that, among the facts that it's just a criminal act, is what's going to happen to the majority populations in that part of the world with the winter coming. Yeah. And the United States doesn't care if they've plunged them into another great depression where people are actually going to starve and freeze to death. That is secondary to the United States maintaining its position as the world's greatest uh, superpower. But think of how pointless it's been, too, because here they blow up Nord Stream. And so now the access to Russia gas has been cut off except through Ukraine, which is always kind of iffy because they're always blowing up a pipeline or siphoning it off or whatever. And Russia has only built Nord Stream because they wanted to avoid the problems it was encountering in Ukraine. But now the gas hub in all of Europe is going to be the other key geopolitical state, Turkey. And Turkey is more than welcome. Uh, They've had their issues with the EU and with NATO. And uh, the EU has not let them in because they're a Muslim country. And so they have hard feelings in that regard. But Erdogan, regardless of what you think of him, and he's a very mercurial and unpredictable guy, he is also independent. He is not like Schultz or Macron or any of these puppets or globalists. He is charting his own course for his own country's national benefit, and he has not been taken under Washington's wing. So now all the gas is going to be flowing to Europe through Turkey. And if you want gas, if you want to heat your homes and keep your businesses running, you're going to have to talk to Erdogan. So Germany has basically just shot itself in the foot to no advantage at all. Yeah. Let me ask you just in the last five or eight minutes that we have with you, Mike, the most recent article you wrote was uh, Ukraine plans to use a nuclear weapon. Yes. That was written just a couple of days ago. You know, there's a lot of speculation, I think, as to what may or may not happen. But apparently, I think it's important that You know, in my experience of listening to what Russia has to say when they come up with intelligence and put it out there, it's usually pretty accurate. It proves to be pretty accurate, uh, unlike ours. But can you tell us a little bit about the... Yeah, and there's a lot of carryover from the uh, Soviet Union times. They have a lot of active uh, intelligence agents still operating in Ukraine. So Mm -hmm. the intelligence they get is usually pretty reliable. And as you know, they've pinpointed the location and the type of material and any number of things related to this dirty bomb or quote unquote nuclear device. We don't know if it's just a dirty bomb. That would be the best case scenario. But since then, just today, Russia media is reporting, it looks like they're backing off their plan because they were successfully able to get their message out and warn people that this is not in Russia's interest. Can can you elaborate on that? You're saying that- You know, I mean, you were talking about Kirby earlier and the profusion of lies that we're dealing with every day. But the biggest, most fundamental lie we're dealing with is the illusion that the United States or that uh, Ukraine is winning this war. And everyone seems to believe that except people who follow it very closely on the ground. 
Ukraine has pushed back. But the, well, the Russians are defending over 1,200 kilometers mm-hmm. of front lines. And so they can't protect all of it. And that is why Putin mobilized 300,000 more troops. He is going to defend the area in East Ukraine as if it was part of Russia's mainland, because that's what it is now. It's part of the homeland, and they're going to defend it as such. But the rules have changed, and the gloves have come off. If a country attacks your country, it's very much different than if you're encountering an enemy in a special military operation that they were calling it up to this point. So you can expect that the first big punches they've landed is taking out 40% of all the energy infrastructure, bridges and, and communications, everything else across Ukraine. That can be expected to escalate if there are any more terrorist attacks like on Nord Stream or the Kerch Bridge or whatever, or if they just continue to barrage the civilian areas of the Donbass, then the operation is going to be stepped up and we don't know where it's going to end, but there's going to be a significant escalation because there's going to be 300,000 more Russian troops over there. And when are they operative? They're, they're operative right now, a lot of them, right? I mean, they are, but sometime in the next two weeks. But the people I read that are military experts say that we shouldn't really expect anything until the ground freezes in February. And then they're expecting a major offensive. Mm-hmm. To me, that sounds reasonable. But, you know, I'm not a military person, so I couldn't tell you. But from what I've read, that is probably the most likely prediction. Well, I mean, to me, one of the main features of this show was just to elaborate on how almost everything that we're told about Ukraine that comes from Ukraine, that they're winning the war, that Russia has no care for civilians, yet the civilian to military ratios are incredibly light on the civilian casualty side, which indicates that it's not just language and words, but it's, it's a matter of rules of engagement that Russia is following. But when you think about the most, you know, you've, you've mentioned some of the most gross misrepresentations about the, the conflict. Can you close the show with a few of the things that you feel Americans believe, but probably should not be believing? Well, let me just say about the whole conflict in general, I'm not very optimistic the way it's going. First of all, the 30 congressmen that you were talking about who were pretending to be liberal, but they issued a letter saying that they, they didn't oppose the war, but that they basically wanted to see Ukraine dominate and defeat Russia and push them out of Ukrainian soil. But they thought it was time to at least carry on some meager negotiations and create the appearance of uh, wanting peace. And they backed off that right away. So there's no appetite or interest in peace, a peaceful resolution for this crisis at all. And so I can't imagine it's going to get better. It can only get worse. Plus, there's an uptick in weaponry going over there and all this talk of nuclear weapons comes predominantly from the West. So I have no idea what their plans for escalation might be. But the thing that concerns me most, and I think it should concern every American and every person on earth, is that the faction the, uh, with Victoria Newland and the other protégés of Dick Cheney, who wanted not just the defeat, and they were not satisfied with the dissolution of the Soviet Union. They wanted to actively go in and break up Russia because they didn't want any reemergence of a potential competitor in that area because it conflicts with our interests, our strategic ambitions in that in Central Asia. I think now that you know that those people, those neoconservatives, the most fanatical people in the right wing are controlling the levers of power in Washington, and they're the most reckless people who should be uh, certainly should not be 
making the decisions they are making, that we should be all very concerned. Very good. Well, listen, thanks, Mike, for, for this opportunity to get some updates on the theater there. I guess right now, the offensive towards Kherson, can you just end it with any kind of updates on that? I mean, I know that the Ukrainians have been trying to launch this offensive. They continue to, every time they launch an offensive, lose an extraordinary disproportionate amount of equipment and personnel compared to Russia. Is that still the story? Yeah, they have, they have not made the progress that many people expected, and they haven't overtaken the city. It's still very possible. But the real threat, of course, is the dam. I forget the number of the, the name of the dam, but there were over 100 missiles, projectiles fired at the dam in the last few days, all of them from the Ukrainian side. If that dam bursts, then a wall of water five meters high is going to travel down through the valleys, expected to wipe out cities, bridges, everything, and probably kill in the neighborhood of 50,000 people. That will completely change the complexion of the war in that area. And it might be the provocation they want to see people start clamoring for NATO getting involved. So that is probably the next step is you're going to hear people saying, well, look at how horrible the Russians are. You know, we need NATO to get involved here. Well, how bad Russians are, but it's the Ukrainians hitting the dam. And it was the Ukrainians that were routinely bombing the Zaporiki nuclear plant and then blaming Russia for it and our media. And our government presentation of those facts was to confuse the American public into thinking maybe it is Russia. It's another one of these projections we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Here we have the reckless bombing of a nuclear plant. Lord knows what kind of humanitarian catastrophe that could cause. And no interest by the Western press or the U.S. press to uh, indicate the dangers there and the likely culprit putting that region at such a risk by the U.S. ally, Ukraine, and no indication that the United States was conferring with Ukraine to have them stop such irresponsible behavior, suggesting that the U.S. was totally aboard this reckless behavior. Yeah, that's the power of having your own media is you can just spin things whichever way you want, regardless of what the truth is. But just in closing, I just wanted to let people know that in order to access your writings, Mike, the best way to do that is how? Unz and Global Research. Okay, Unz, U-N-Z. Dot com. Global Research. Okay, very good. Mike Whitney, thank you for bringing light into darkness. Appreciate your very well-informed analysis and look forward to following your work into the future. Um, hey, thanks a lot for having me. Okay. Thanks a lot, Pedro. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. See you next week. Don't be late.